0: Good afternoon, good evening, or even good middle of the night for some of you night crawlers, And welcome to the Arena Craft podcast, a show dedicated exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. I'm one of your hosts, Arjuna. I'm joined today by not one, not two, but three magical guest co-hosts today. That's right, we have a holy trifecta of guests on the podcast. Three people I've been very, very excited to talk to, and I was like, fluff it, man. Like, let's just get them all on at once. Going to quickly introduce you to the three. First of all, we have mono green mage extraordinaire Rumty. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Arjuna. I've been keen to get on here for a long time, so I really appreciate you finding a slot for
0: me. Yeah, I've been keen to have you on as well, so glad you're here. Next up, we have Chris Botello, who I think of as being like a competitive, unconventional control brewer, but I don't know <laughs> if you feel like that describes you. But uh, welcome to the show, Chris. I'm always happy if I get to take up a label of jank. Control does seem to be where it is easier to make jank work. So yeah, I think that fits. You're a welcome addition to this podcast, where Covert Go Blue usually sits, and <laughs> and probably feels that way about what he does as well. Finally, we have the one James, James Rutherford, well known for playing mid range decks. Boros mid range and historic was a big one, but lately you've been playing a lot of blood on the snow and other kinds of decks. Is that right, James?
2: Yeah, I played Orzhov blood and stuff a little bit. I turned that one into a little bit of a mid range deck too. Elite Spellbinder, one of my favorite cards. I played a Rakdos deck today. I'm really high on the Jun mid range deck I'm playing now. I don't know. I don't call myself the mid-range master. I don't think I've mastered magic at all. I actually, I think I'm pretty bad, but I love mid-range decks. I just love that it has the chance, if not all the time, to beat any deck you play against.
0: So I'm really stoked because we actually have an aggro, control, and mid-range player on the podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> please restrain yourselves from killing each other while we're having a nice...
1: <laughs> i try so not to t- drool too much as the <laughs> aggro guy.
0: <laughs> Keep the beasts in the cage over there. I'm really excited to get into today's topic with y'all. Uh, but first, I just wanted to make a few announcements. I did a giveaway on Twitter this last week and it was really fun so I've decided to do one for our patrons as well for anyone who's currently subscribed to the show's patreon you'll be eligible for that and it'll be sweet I'm going to give away a commander deck I'll reveal what it is soon so if you're an existing patron you're already in the drawing so just sit back relax and hopefully we'll send it to you and if not if you want to be in the drawing or if you want to join our patreon now is a great time to do so you'll have the opportunity to get a reward the show is sponsored by untap.gg They have like a new draft helper feature, which is pretty sweet. I was talking with the dev team about it. A lot of our viewers are really interested in constructed and don't spend a lot of time playing limited, and that's totally fine. But I think for a lot of people, playing limited is actually the solution to their economic challenges on Arena. And so I'm always kind of like pushing people to at least just give it a try. And so this new draft helper feature, I think, could be really helpful to people who want a little autopilot in their draft and they just want to play some games and see if they get anywhere check that out that's that's a good time and of course you can always download untap.gg using the link in our show notes or below this video so go ahead and take a look at that it helps them out helps us out and we're just a big fan of what they do got all the shilling out of the way Let's jump into the main topic. One of the reasons that I invited the three of you on the show together is that I think of you as all being well known streamers in the Zoomer generation, as it were. Like, I think that we're all people who, all four of us on this cast right now, have people gotten to know us by us playing Arena. I kind of wanted to get your input on recent events and where things are headed. I wanna just open up the can of worms that is alchemy because everyone's talking about it. I think it's one of the biggest things to happen to magic in a long time and I wanted to get your takes on it. So first of all, is there anyone who's excited who's just like raring to go on this topic?
1: I have a few thoughts that I can jump in with right quick. I've played a lot of alchemy lately, obviously, a lot of mono green and it's well positioned which i don't want to have tint my perception of it because you know when you're winning you're having fun and you're loving it and so it's hard to kind of zoom out objectively how do i feel about this format it has a lot of potential and for me i'm gonna try to trust in Watsy they have 25 years of experience balancing cards giving them more flexibility to put their hands on the levers i i'm confident we'll end up in a good place i'm very scared of the hearthstone effect my first game was hearthstone And I got out of it mostly because the RNG got cranked up to 11. The space of digital only, the things that the computer can do better than any human can do is some sort of RNG in some location of the game, be it in your exile zone or your library or adventure zone. Like It can apply random elements to those things. That's the low-hanging fruit. And we've seen a lot of that in the cards that they've implemented. Taking one of those zones, applying an RNG generator to it, and spitting out an outcome. So far, in the in the current iteration, they haven't gone off the deep end with that. It's okay what they've done. Spellbook is a whole different kind of RNG thing that they came up with that I'm actually really enjoying. I hope, and I'm just going to have to trust, that they don't go as far as Hearthstone did when I was playing Hearthstone, where you just lost all sense of agency. And I think while RNG is an important component, you can go and read like Sam Garfield put out a thing about how RNG and competitive play is a good thing in his philosophy on it. And I agree with that article and I think it's lovely, but you still have to have agency. <laughs> I hope that the digital-only mechanisms that they devise or come up with all of their ingenuity don't just rely on that mechanic or push it too far. But other than that, I'm, I'm super optimistic. I'm loving it now, and I think I'm going to love it in the future.
0: One of the hard things about RNG is it can add fuel to the fire for those like bad beat stories. Your is-it opponent happens to hit Time Warp off of it, or your Control opponent happens to hit you know, Approach of the Seventh sun, or whatever. So what do you think, The One, Jane? What's your experience of Alchemy been so far?
2: My experience of Alchemy has been... Great, except for two very specific situations right now with alchemy cards. I don't mind Fearsome well much. It's a powerful card. Turn three, Town Razor Tyrant, especially on the play, is a little too hard to overcome unless you're a really hard control deck that might draw our disruption on turn two or something. And speaking to what Brumty said about cards that crank it up to 11 a little bit, I mean, discover the formula. Is that just too good of a card? I don't know. Like, I feel like every time they cast a card, it's not even draw three, it's guaranteed three spells that it doesn't reduce just the cards that you get off of it. It reduces your entire hand. I've seen like three Menaliers and things like that and thinking that they have one mana open and it's just a one mana divide by zero rum team might actually just kill your opponent before that happens because he's the mono green aggro player for the mid-range player in me and of course i'm biased i think magic is better when mid-range is good when your opponent resolves to discover the formula it just feels like you already lost the game it feels a little too powerful but other than those very specific situations i love alchemy it's actually the only format i'm playing right now on arena on stream so many, there's so many decks to play. There's so many decks that can be good. There's controlling mid range decks that feature a card like townraiser tyrant instead of something like goldspan dragon that has been a format staple and standard for such a long time the nerfs in alchemy just to speak a little bit on that not just the buffs like we have been talking about or the rng i feel like the nerfs are in a good spot i think they did a really good job on nerfing something like goldspan dragon and having soul shatter the only thing that can potentially possibly deal with a goldspan dragon unless you want to get your removal spell on goldspan dragon countered by a 2 mana counterspell now you don't have to play soul shatter you can just remove the card before combat Certain things like that have been very, very good. And I feel like the nerfs have been pretty well created or utilized by wizards or whatever word you want to say to that. But some of the buffs are still not even played. There's a four-mana artifact. I can't remember the name off, off the top of my head. The yeah. one that scries and gains two life. It's still not yeah, played. It makes sense. Yeah. But it is It is a card that people love to play with. And giving it a little bit of a boost is not a bad thing. But I was actually curious if Vrumpty was saying as well about the Grizzled Huntmaster and the RNG. I do love that card. I played it in a couple of my decks and I love it. As far as those RNG type of things, how do you feel about that? if you don't mind answering.
1: The Grizzled Huntmaster isn't RNG. Are you thinking of something else? Because the Grizzled Huntmaster gets something out of your sideboard.
2: It applies an effect a zone that you don't usually apply to, right? Because like you can enter out of your deck and then get something out of your sideboard, things like that.
1: But it's entirely structured. It's not like rolling a die and do you hit a ten or a twenty or a five. I put these cards in my sideboard so that I can access them with this card. And the wish effect isn't something that is really digital only because there's the wish card, the fairy that does it in the adventures deck. So that's a mechanic that's been around. I love of grizzled hunt master it's probably my favorite card because i just love being able to put an aggro shell together and then have like a Swiss army knife in my sideboard to try to do every situation. In fact, the first thing I did, I was trying for the pizza box open. I built a Selesnia deck, but I built it like 15 minutes before. And I took Houshka's deck from the PT and tried to alchemy it. And I only have 15 minutes, so I failed. But then I spent two straight days and I just called it Grizzled Humans <laughs> because Grizzled Huntmaster was my key card. And my concept was if you had the Ranger of Ios, that brings out the one-drop. You can Ranger of Ios and then Grizzled Huntmaster away your worthless one-drop to pull whatever card you need out of your sideboard. Oh, so it like turned Ranger of Ios into draw your perfect card. And it was like, I just thought that was so powerful. Couldn't make it work. But I love Grizzled Huntmaster. Like That's the card. I want to play it in every deck I play from now on.
2: There's a card I like that... Uh, we haven't talked about this yet, but the seek mechanic is uh, a little bit RNG-based, but there's a card called Unexpected Conversion that's a, a divination, but... You can exile cards out of your hand or deck with the same name, and it seeks a card for each one you exiled out of your hand. That effect is very powerful. I've done that. I've exiled two cards out of my hand before with that, drawn two cards, and then got two really, really powerful cards that I needed off of just exon a Gerard disruption out of my hand or something.
0: I think what you're highlighting so far is that like we're already enjoying some of the new design space that they're exploring with the format. Hopefully that shouldn't be like baby that's thrown out with the bathwater or whatever the discussion around alchemy is happening. What do you think, Chris?
3: For alchemy in general, I think that there's basically two big novel ideas that Wizards is approaching the format with. One is that they've, taken a pretty active role, at least initially, in rebalancing the format. That's been something they've done before with Pioneer. I've been really impressed by the way that just a few small nerfs to what is largely still a standard metagame and some new cards has gone from what was sort of a three-deck format into a completely unsolved format now in Alchemy with a ton of viable decks. That seems to be a pretty good indication for where... Their more active role in balancing has led the format because they're succeeding so far. The other being the introduction of digital only mechanics like Grizzled Huntmaster, like some of the more RNG heavy cards that we've been talking about. I think my impression there has been pretty positive so far as well. The only card I've really had an exception with is Key to the Archive. That being that I think Key to the Archive to me is the first of the cards with a random effect they've introduced where it feels like the power level of the card is being balanced by how lucky you roll more than any of the um, cards rolling d20 it feels like if you hit a time warp with key to the archive the card is way better than if you don't hit time warp with key to the archive i hope that it changes i'd like to see digital only cards when rng is present it has a smaller effect
0: on how viable the card is Here's a question that I wanted to ask about the RNG. How do you feel with something like Key to the Archive versus a card like Winota or versus a card like Collected Company? It's not like this is the first time we've come up against this in the magic community. We start to see some of these RNG effects really wildly swinging games. You know, a Winota can be a game-winning play or it can be like a dud, right? Like the turn you slam Winota can be the turn you just lose the game on the spot if you don't hit anything. How is it different than that?
2: I love the design of Winota and Collected Company for the reason that it requires a level of deck building that's not present, if you're maybe not normally playing the card. In your aggressively slanted Boros deck or Naya deck, however you want to play Winota, it's not just a four drop that you slam, on the board and you get to look at three random cards and if you get this one random amazing card and it's random out of a pool of 15 different cards then you win and if you don't get to those cards you lose you can build your deck in a way that you can maximize on the card you can't do that with key to the archive there's a pool of 15 cards in key to the archive and if you hit time warp you win
3: and, uh, if, if you I couldn't didn't... hit time warp i wouldn't play the card <laughs> <laughs> that's right. the difference I, to me I, I mean i
2: mean even approach <laughs> is still a really good card but in talking about collector Company, it's also a deck building stipulation. You're almost putting yourself into a deck stipulation, and that's fun to build your deck around hitting off Winota. I want to hit humans, but I also have, a, have to have a number of non-humans in order to trigger
0: the Winota. What you're highlighting here is that it makes you feel clever when you hit, and it makes you feel like I earned it when you hit, whereas when the key hits, the Arena was good to me today. You
2: have a level of agency with how many cards you want to hit, what cards you hit, things like that. You can build your deck however you want in order to maximize or... You can play 17 creatures in your collector Company deck. You might not hit a creature every time, but that's up to you as the deck builder to decide what you want to do with the card. With yeah. the key to the Archive, it is not a deck building thing. It is more of a, I want to hope to get this.
0: What do you think, Ramsey?
1: I agree with James. That was kind of my first thought too. The other thing that I will add, and it's the same topic, but it's the concept of the cost. If you're gonna have a wildly powerful RNG effect, it needs to cost you something extreme for it to happen. And what that does is it takes it from a Johnny card to a Timmy card. And I feel like that's where the RNG belongs. The RNG belongs in the jank gaming, where you're like, oh great, I hit Time Warper. Oh great, I hit whatever it is. I hit it and now I get to have a really fun game. But It's less fun when you're like, okay, I'm winning in for the top eight of a PT that I've grinded a thousand hours for, and I'm up against this card. And okay, they hit three time warps off of four key of the archives, and I guess I lose no matter what I do. And all of my agency has gone at this very competitive where you know, when people have busted their butts and really sacrificed a lot of time to do these refined decks, and I feel like that high level of like tier zero tier one competitive decks the cost for these powerful rng decks has to be high enough that they don't belong in those decks
0: no totally and i, I think it's also again like it just comes back to the feels bad i needed a frozen grip but I hit like a claim the first one or something like that. I think that that kind of gameplay is really titillating in something like Cube where like the whole point of the format is kind of wacky. You're coming up with all these novel scenarios where your opponent's playing a card type that you don't normally see in Constructed but here it is on the battlefield across from you Unlimited and you got this amazing hit off of your key to the archive and it's like a huge payoff and it feels really good, right? But yeah, when you're in like this more rarefied environment of tournament magic or like if you're grinding on the ladder like day after day and seeing these similar matchups, it can start to feel really, really punishing. I think Wizards, as a game design company, and any game design company, has to ride this line of, like, what makes sense logically versus just how does it feel. And some things just don't feel good, and so they shouldn't be in the game. What do you think, Chris? What is this bringing up for you?
3: I think that the biggest difference to me is when RNG is used as a balance mechanism, determines whether a card is competitive or not, and how much agency the implementation of that design gives the player. What makes games like Magic fun, at least from a competitive play standpoint, is when players feel like they have the ability to make interesting, nuanced decisions, taking in a lot of information and having those decisions be meaningful. If the implementation of a design creates moments where the player feels like they have something they are definitely supposed to do, and that the decisions involved in that process are not particularly under their control, I think that's where the design can start to get kind of lame feeling.
0: Let's talk about rebalancing because this is something that came up lately. I was just talking with Robert Taylor about this on our previous episode. What are your thoughts about how often the format should be balanced and how it should be balanced? What do you think, Rumty?
1: I think I'm gonna have a different opinion than most here. Well, I was gonna do that, like call myself smooth brain in the self-deprecating haha way, but my method of success in magic is to play the same deck, play it ten thousand times, and then just leverage advantage on being intimately familiar with every interaction possible with that deck. The more a format gets rebalanced, the less I'm able to do that. And that's where like a comment where like Chris talked about it going from like a three deck format that's relatively solved to a multi deck format that isn't solved. Personally, I enjoy the three deck solved formats more because I can attack it because I don't play the tier zero decks. I can say, OK, back when it was Soltai, Alt was the deck. I'm like, OK, I know how to I need to build my green deck to beat Soul Tide Ult. They have Extinction Event, they have Shadows Verdict, and they have like Heartless Act and all of their conditional removals. And that's the thing about Control typically is they have conditions on their removals. And as the aggro player, you're trying to attack those conditions and maximize your ability to blank their cards or make their cards not relevant at the critical turn four, turn five, turn six zone. But when you have a wide open format where one might be playing a removal package with these conditions and another is going to be playing a removal packaged with these conditions and on and on and on i'm stuck in a position where i can't really build my creature shell in a way that attacks any particular deck and then all of a sudden it's about matchmaking it's who do i pair against i have to build the most linear generally powerful deck so that i have the best chance of well, whatever i hit because i can't just build a deck and say i know i'm going to hit 40 soul tie in this tournament so let me build a deck to beat that I can't do that anymore. And that's where I find the most fun personally. So I feel like if, if they rebalance over and over, then a the format's never solved. It's going to take away the particular mechanic that's really fun to me, but we'll see. You know, I haven't lived in this world, so maybe I'll find edges in other ways.
3: Chris, what do you think? I think that I will be happy regardless of whether they try to aggressively rebalance the format a lot and keep shaking it up, or if they just decide that they're in a happy place where there's a eight, deck metagame or something like that, because I have found the way to take joy out of both of those scenarios. For one, I think formats tend to get solved a lot less than a lot of players typically give it credit for. Even standard right now, for example, is a three deck format that was mono green, mono white, and is it. And the last weekend or so, we actually saw a bunch of new red green aggro decks, showing up in the format and exploiting some of the weaknesses and is it those kind of changes tend to actually be more typical of quote solved metagames than I think a lot of players feel like is the case. The big reason for that is that a lot of what shapes a metagame isn't actually what decks are the best. And this is going to sound kind of counterintuitive, but what actually shapes metagames are the availability of high level play aids and ways to learn decks. The content that's out there. There's not a lot of incentive to go brew a new deck all on your own. That's super hard. You have to be very, very good at building decks and reading metagames and understanding how to tune decks to do that. That's just not something most players are capable of doing at a high mythic level. I suspect that if they stop making super aggressive balance changes intended to totally shake up the metagame, A lot of players will still probably find that there is a lot more room for the metagames to grow than they kind of think. And I'd be super happy with that, but if they keep shaking it up, I'm super happy trying to brew something new every week too. (laughs) What about you, James? I'm gonna pick on Discover
2: the Formula again. We created this card, and yeah, maybe it's too good. Maybe Key to the Archive. They think it's too good. Maybe they think that uh, we want to buff another card. And I don't. I don't have a particular want or craving for a specific timeline for these things. In the case of Standard specifically, a card like with the same power level, maybe as a Key to the Archive or Discover the Formula in Standard, maybe like a you know All Runs Epiphany. Maybe a galvanic iteration or, or um you know unexpected windfall, the thing that took over standard for a long period of time, and is it just watching, you know, Chris Patello playing that deck for a while the other day, the, the power level of that, just doing that is amazing. And you basically win the game if it resolves. If there's enough want for something like that to be a little bit less powerful, similar to what they did with All Runs Epiphany, and I feel like that they did the perfect thing with All Runs Epiphany, it's still a good card. They made it to the point where When you copy it you don't make additional birds you all of a sudden can't make six birds just to block your opponent's things and save yourself you now have to innovate in different ways and that's the point that i want to touch on not necessarily the timing of the changes but the fact that there's an ability to change means that there's an ability for further innovation this might be counterintuitive to what rumty was saying that rumty wants the three deck format that he wants to kind of attack that metagame but you're still innovating though you're innovating to in order to attack the metagame you have to innovate your deck in a way and if that metagame finds a different removal spell that's really good against the mono green, then all of a sudden you have to innovate again. That's the part that's fun for me. I was building a deck, and I know that Esper Control is one of the most popular decks in Mythic. What do they want to play on turn two the most? They want to play their Parasitic Grasp, and they want to play their Vanishing Verse. They want to play those two cards along with maybe the Jawari Disruption on turn two. So now I think to myself, okay, okay, James, innovate. What card cannot be Parasitic Grasp, and what card cannot be Vanishing Verse? What is a non-human multicolored card? And that's what I love doing. I love innovating. I love thinking about this. And this is how I came up with my Jun deck that I play right now to an over 60% win rate in Alchemy. I say, okay, there's only two cards in Arena because I look these things up that meet those stipulations that are actually good cards. It's the, not the gruel 2 drop because that's a human. It's a werewolf. But the Rakdos 3-2 is not a human, And it's multicolored. Oh, the vampire. Yes, the vampire. That's the basis that I look for. And it's similar to what rem was saying. How do you adapt to a metagame that's already solved? Well, there are different decks in Alchemy that are kind of the most popular that you'll kind of run into. But there's still 8 to 10 decks that you could possibly run into. But say it's like 25% is the highest percentage of deck that you can run into in Alchemy, and that's Esper Control. How do I attack that deck? But you can build your deck generically powerful enough and still play around those things, and the puzzle of trying to build that is what makes it fun for me.
0: Something that interest me about the alchemy format in terms of from a diversity perspective i was hoping this wouldn't happen but i feel like it has happened and i think it's a shame outline what i was hoping would happen i was hoping that the big three from standard would either get nerfed enough to make them a little bit less competitive or that these other decks would get buffed enough to make them competitive and so what i would love to see is yeah i can still play mono white mono green and is it in alchemy but i can also play dragons and I can also play clerics and I can also play blue-white control and whatever. And I think one of the failings of alchemy so far, you know, we've almost just booted out all of those standard decks, you know, shown them out the door. And it's not entirely true. I think that the fact that a deck like mono-white is like really threatening in standard and is basically not viable in alchemy, is a failing likewise with mono green i'm sure rumty's still crushing with it in alchemy it was a
1: mono green duel in the finals of was it set Mansfield the... Mansfield tournament was mono green mono green in the championship? oh really oh yep. I,
0: I totally missed it so i'm a little behind the times there then <laughs> frankly i would love for alchemy to feel a little bit more like standard i think that is possible for that to happen They announce Alchemy as a format for the purpose of being digital-only rebalancing of the standard format. That's kind of like the spiritual idea behind it. The cynic in the audience says they're just doing it to sell more cards. And unfortunately, I kind of feel like that is a little bit how it has looked. Well, you have to now craft Townraiser Tyrant. You have to craft Inquisitor Captain. You know, you have to craft these new cards to be competitive in the format. And I feel like it's not quite delivering on the promise of making Elixir deck better, Druid class deck better. I would like to see a little bit more of that. And I'd like to see meta games that, you know, aren't so dominated by these new cards. Perhaps it's just that people are like, ooh, shiny, you know, key to the archive. It's a cool new card. I'm going to build decks around it. Perhaps it's simply that maybe Mono White is really viable and people just haven't been focusing on it. Chris, you're making some faces. Maybe have some thoughts on this. <laughs>
3: I think that part of that is that the Alchemy meta right now is still kind of a rotating cast of new weekly characters. Mono White has had a pretty tough time because it doesn't necessarily stack up super great against decks that play uh, Meat Hook Massacre. And for the last two weeks, decks playing Meat Hook Massacre have been very popular. And most of the metagame... Out of Esper and the various different Sanguine Brushstroke decks, Mono Green stood up against that better because it's pretty hard to get up to the point where you're killing Green's three drop with a Meat Hook Massacre. But going forward, maybe more decks show up that attack Esper and maybe there's a metagame that's more hostile to Brushstroke than suddenly Mono White has a lot of game against things like it that just really hate playing against Thalia and good disruptive early creatures. As far as the standard decks not porting to Alchemy, we'll see. I think not everything can be viable all at once. Is it? I know, had a lot of good results this weekend in the Arena Open from players who wanted to beat Esper, which was probably the most popular deck overall, I would say. Unexpected Windfall remains the best way to win Control Mirrors. The nerf Stolerance Biffany means that deck gives a huge amount of room now for aggro decks to show up, get preyed on, because it can't just make a bunch of free blockers anymore. There's a lot of opportunity costs to running a deck that has a huge, expensive late game and not great removal.
0: I think what this conversation is highlighting to me is that Kind of how interesting tournament magic still is. I think it's really easy to fire up the arena client and go on the alchemy ladder and just get matched up against dragons and Azorius control game after game after game and (laughs) think that's all there is out there. One of the reasons I enjoy having y'all on the show is that you're really paying attention and staying up to date in the trenches about what's competitive and you're coming back and being like, no, actually, this is possible, that's possible. And so I think like a lot of frustration, people on the arena a feeling is maybe just that kind of doing like you guys were talking about where it's just a lot easier to net deck from someone if i'm going into the format and i haven't thought very much about it why wouldn't i just copy a dragon's list that got someone to you know 100 mythic or whatever you know versus borrowing your brow really hard and thinking about like how you can make your mono white deck work in what feels like a really hostile field uh, do you have any additional thoughts Ramsey?
1: I'll just real quick jump on this whole net deck thing. I am pro net decking. (laughs) There is no shame in it whatsoever. It's what you should be doing. It's what 99.99999% of players should be doing in 99.999% of situations. Very few people get to, quote unquote, in this nonsensical peer fashion, brew a deck no everyone starts with something and then how far away you go from where you started at some point it's a brew and at some point you were net decking i think it's all silly talk anyways one of the thoughts that popped in my head is when you were talking about wanting alchemy to feel more like standard what is the incentive to have an alchemy format and a standard format if they're largely going to be the same and i think that a lot of the heartburn that folks and I have to like put on my empathy cap because I'm not a paper boomer. In fact, the only paper tournament I ever played was the SCG Envy that I had to like bag borrow and steal to get paper cards together. And in fact, I, these are my first boosters that I've ever gotten. Watsi sent them to me for the PT, so I'm going to do some limited drafts with them. But this is what I this is my Magic collection in paper.
0: That is the sum total in your hands right now of yes. all of the paper Magic cards that you own,
1: other than the deck that I bought for the SCG Envy. Yes. And so I (laughs) bought that using my uh, SDG store credit. But yeah, this is basically it. But I feel like a lot of people have heartburn of, are they going to make paper standard irrelevant? If you move into a digital only format, and it becomes what the World Championships played in, if it becomes this one of the two split formats that the set championships are played in, are you taking what used to be the paper circuit and reducing its clout, reducing its playability, and what's lost there. And I think that's like one of the big major counter reactions to that. I guess I don't have a whole lot to say about that because I don't value the paper tour very much because I don't do it. I'm a arena zoomer. For, For folks who have played paper, I guess I'm interested to hear what people with more information might think about that concept of what is Alchemy gonna do to paper formats? And is that a problem?
0: I'll open that up to either Chris or James.
3: It's kind of hard to say
0: anything about paper right now. It's really
3: impossible to separate the effects of Arena right now from the effects of COVID and just not having a paper scene. I don't really think I can say more about it than that. It's totally impossible to
0: separate the two right now. I think that there's some pretty wild speculation on the part of magic players about what's currently driving development at Watsy and also like mm-hmm. what's driving profits at Watty? I think it's good for people to remember that as much as companies change, they often stay the same. And Magic has made unfathomable amount of money for decades printing a paper product. And this is a massive investment that they've made over the years. And so they're going to be very, very, very careful when rolling anything out, which might in any way threaten their paper products. And I think it's one of the reasons why we're not seeing them make the arena economy super easy to get into. They don't want to threaten the perceived value of their paper products. Like, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what's going on at Watsi. <laughs> but my speculation, based on what I've seen, is that Wizards is still a paper-first company. Uh, I don't think we've seen anything to, to even touch that honestly
1: alchemy is the one shot across the bow at that it's digital only format i guess it's going to matter how prestigious do they want to make it is it going to be a set championship format it's already going to be a a qualifier format
3: Uh, they did actually confirm that the upcoming set championship is historic and Alchemy with
0: no standard there you go i mean that that is (laughs) a strong message (laughs) for sure
2: If I can go off of what you were saying originally, Arjuna, about you wish that alchemy was a little bit more like standard, I agree with you. I love the new cards in alchemy, and I don't want them to go anywhere. I personally just believe that the new cards that you are almost required to get them in the part of Key to the Archive, town Townraiser, Tyrant, Discover the Formula, there's more cards out there. Even Sanguine Brushstroke is another very powerful one. If you want to play these archetypes, you have to get the card. Your deck is just already suboptimal if you're playing the other cards, but you're not playing that one. The card shouldn't have been as good. They should not be resolved to discover the formula win the game. Kind of like a Geist Channeler where the card's fun, but it's not actually super overpowered. I know that I've mentioned discover the formula, like this is the fourth time I mentioned it and people are gonna say, this person hates discover the formula, they play a <laughs> mid-range deck. I love the card, I've cast it. I just wish it wasn't as good. Maybe don't discount the entire hand, discount just the cards you get off of it. And that's not just that card. I I play Town Razor Tyrant in every single deck I play. It's the best four-drop in the game. I think it's the best four-mana creature you can play. And making a card alchemy only, I think making it the best four-drop creature you can play, they shouldn't have made it that powerful. The Sanguine Brushstroke and some other cards as well, like Key to the Archive that we've already talked about. I agree with you, Arjuna, saying it should be closer to standard because those cards shouldn't have been as powerful and maybe the buffs should have been more buffed. But I do like the debuffs, like I said before.
0: You know what? We're going to get to see it roll out over the next couple of months, and I think that's going to really give us an indication of what they're planning for it for the rest of the year. So it'll be interesting to see if there's one thing that I've always known about Wizards, it's that I've found them to be really conservative. Whenever the road forks and they can be, like, experimental versus conservative, I feel like they tend to take the conservative route. We'll see what happens with the Neon Dynasty release. We'll see what happens with the tournament. Yeah, Rumty.
1: I have my thoughts, but I know Chris has been playing a little bit of green lately. Is the Town Razor Tyrant the best 4-drop creature you can play?
3: It's definitely the scariest 4-drop out there right now to see as a control deck, but I think that it is a slightly nuanced card in the sense that it is a better 4-drop against decks that want to extend the game and not the best 4-drop against decks that want to end the game quickly, which is a good role to have available,
1: I think. That's why I was checking for you, because personally, I feast on that card (laughs) I love to see it resolved. I'm winning most times I see it.
2: Coming from the Blizzard Brawl player. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. That's like, I don't care about the damage to my face as much. I'm going to clear it out. I'm going to outrace you. And I just wanted that perspective to be brought up because isn't that interesting how we can all be in our silos with our biases and our preferences and we see cards in this way. And I think that in the Twitterverse, when things get vitriolic, people have a hard time getting out of their own silos. They drop down these platitudes that are absolutely true from their experience and their experience could be vast. It could be a data set of hundreds of games or maybe thousands of games, but it's games with decks that they've built with their biases built into them. And then another person with a different biases goes and goes, that card sucks. Play it against me all you want. Put it in every deck. I'd love to see it. And it's just like, both are true.
2: You want to <laughs> feast on towners Tyrant against the aggro deck. I love a 4-4 flyer that turns off your lair of the Hydra. It's it's can do completely different things, right? Yeah,
1: not say, like, that's not what you want to be playing against me either. But mm-hmm. also, like, my man lands are never relevant against dragons. If I'm activating my lands, I'm usually losing i'm behind i would much rather be playing out my creature and establishing my board so i don't really care about the fact that you made me bend my lair or my haven it's fine that's not part of my plan it's too slow it's not impactful enough it's better that it does that for you because it removes that option in those percentage of games where that might have been a winning line for me but overall i don't think it's part of the successful game plan of the dragon's deck so against mono green do you think that
2: any alchemy card is too powerful and it should be nerfed from the alchemy only cards
1: That's a really, really hard question. I have more biases than you, for sure, and Chris, for doubly sure, because you guys play a much more varied set than I do. And when you play aggro, not a lot of things really register as the only reason you lost, and once it resolves it's over. The only thing that does that is a universal removal that's too cheap for its cost, like a sweeper that's too cheap for what it does, or something like that. Those are the only times where you're like, well shit. The Divine Burge, um, though? I don't feel like it's too strong against me, because like, it doesn't actually get rid of the card. I've found it relevant that I get to replay those cards, and all of a sudden, as an aggro player, I get to put a mid-range hat on because your removal isn't really removal, <laughs> which is not with its bounces and stuff too, its fading hopes, is like, okay, you're stalling, but that stall better lead to a win condition. You're not outvaluing me by divine purging me anymore, right? Unless you're really getting over the top into the late game. I don't look at anything as too powerful. I will say they are very powerful. When I sit down to Historic, the first thing I did is I went to the list of PT decks, picked the one that I thought fit my style, and then I just filtered for Alchemy cards and said, which one of these am I going to be plugging in? Because they're stronger than anything here for two not literally every single one of them but across every color there are one to four alchemy cards that are stronger than anything else that was printed before them in the standard meta that's the building process now is which of these alchemy cards are going to replace which of these standard cards in this list so they're very strong too strong i don't know i have no perspective chris is probably a way better person to ask that question
3: i mean do you have a perspective on that chris One that's confined to Alchemy right now, because I know that there are some concerns about Inquisitor, Captain, and Historic that I don't have the experience to speak to. In the context of Alchemy, the only card I've had a problem with power level-wise has been Key to the Archive. It's a card that I've been cutting for most of my decks. My concern, kind of like we mentioned earlier, isn't necessarily that I think the card is too good. It's that I don't super love the way the card is designed and the play patterns that makes, but... From a power level perspective, no. They definitely had a very high average power level and they had a huge impact on the format, but... The concerning implications of that, I think, are mostly tied into the economy aspect of it and less the game balance aspect.
2: A little bit of my point, I think, kind of that kind of goes with Arjuna is I don't think they had to be powerful enough to where they are such a major place in the format because mm-hmm. of the high average power level. The format starts looking less and less like standard, I think. I would prefer it to look a little bit more like standard than it currently does. Not saying I don't like the format, but maybe a little bit more like regular standard.
3: If that is a aspect of the format that you care about that it resembles standard, then yeah, I could see that. Yeah. I, I personally don't mind it being different. So it hasn't yeah. registered to me that it changes it in that way.
0: I'm almost getting, like, Modern Horizons vibes (laughs) from y'all around this, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it's like... Very similar, huh? (laughs) The set releases, and it's just mandatory now. It's their world, and we live in it. And even if we're playing with all of this vast array of other cards in Modern, like, we just still, we gotta take these into account now. You
2: have to play Prismatic Ending in every deck, because it's the best removal spell you can be playing.
3: It's interesting to have these set releases that are essentially watershed moments, where before this happened, everything went this way, and after this happened, everything is this completely different way, and we are not on the same side of the Rocky Mountains anymore. That can happen in any format. Eldrain did that, apparently.
0: It's good for the pocketbook. Not not our pocketbooks, but uh, (laughs) good good for their pocketbooks. (laughs) I have really enjoyed this conversation around alchemy and before we get out of here i wanted to pivot around we have three very very successful mages here on the podcast this is my goal is to get one kind of pithy little nugget from each of you about how to play the decks that you're known for playing i'm gonna start with Rumty. what is one thing or maybe just like a handful of things that you see other aggro mages doing wrong all the time that you just want to grab them by the shoulders and be like, you need to get better at this if you want to get higher on the ladder.
1: Pithy, the word is understanding speed. How fast does your deck need to be? And what are the costs of making it that fast? Can you make it that fast? I'll try to, in two minutes or less, boil down the first thing I always do in a format and the hat that I put on, the problems that I see in front of me that I try to solve. New format drops. Okay, I know I'm playing Mono Green. I know the Mono Green lists that have been successful and how they've been successful. The first thing I try to do is build the fastest Mono Green deck that I can. Remove all the long game calls, find the best, cheapest creatures at the lowest curve that I can possibly build, and then play it. And if I can win with it, fantastic, because that's the least complicated aggro thing that you can be doing. You're closing off the myriad of mid to late game options of your opponent, right? You're just saying, keep the Archive, irrelevant you're dead before it untaps that's where you want to be right you can't always be there because of the cards available to you or the removal suites available to your enemies so once you've decided i can't be that fast you're like okay well i need to slow down what cards are going to help me survive then long enough with pressure to be able to continually pressure if i need to be pressuring past turn five what cards are going to help me do that and what's the cost of playing them and how does it interact There was even a time where that speed question (laughs) was such that food became the mono green deck, which was a control deck. Food was a straight control deck. It was more control than all of the other control decks, and that's what it had to be. You know what killed food was Sultai Ultimatum. And that's where the situation is like, okay, so Soltai Oll, maybe you can't go over the top of it. You can't out mid-range it. You can't out-control it. So then you have to be faster than it. So you, it reset from the minute Soltai Oll became the t- number one deck, food is done for. And it's replaced by the fastest green decks that people can possibly make. The concept of speed and understanding speed and how it interacts with the format is... The number one thing that you need to be doing and what I see people doing is playing fast cards and slow cards in ways that don't create a game plan that works with the meta. And you end up forking paths and undoing the good work that you're doing in the early game for no payoffs in the late game or vice versa. Taking your plan and building towards it and then just trying to win every game that that plan's going to work for. You can't do everything with green. Jokes aside, people are like, oh, there's a green card that does literally everything. No, there isn't quite. You can't counterspell, you can't sweep. Those are critical interactions, so you have to pick your game plan and win the games that you're going to be
0: able to win with that plan. I see a surprising amount of mono green pile gamers on the ladder, where I feel like someone just looked at just... a bunch of decks and were like, oh, I'll have that card and I'll have that card and I'll have that card. And you end up with these weird decks that have like Swarm Shambler and Vorinclex in them. <laughs> these two cards... <laughs> Couldn't be more different. I love that, Rumty. All right, let's switch to you, Chris. As someone who is almost like the diametrically opposite from Rumty, someone who (laughs) likes the late game, have an interesting idea play out over a number of different turns, what are some mistakes that you see people making in that space that they could easily start to address? The biggest advice I think I can give is
3: be conscientious of your thought process particularly in terms of what kind of things you're expecting the opponent to do and how you're playing around it. I think that's something that most players stand to benefit from that would improve their ability to correctly play the game in general is try to think about all of the things that your opponent can do next turn and all of the ways that they would be bad for you. Categorize how many of them are terrible for you. What's the worst case scenario? How many of them are okay? And try to, don't even necessarily focus on if you're making the right evaluations. The biggest small step you can take is to try to think about whether you are correctly identifying all the things that they could be doing in the first place. That's the step you can take that is going to make the biggest difference in your play over time. Because what you'll find is as you get into the habit of thinking about that, and as you improve your habit of thinking like that, you get to the point where you kind of graduate from thinking of what can my opponent do when I attack to what can the opponent do on their next turn to what can the opponent do a couple of turns ahead. And as you get much better at that, you get to the point where you're sitting down turn zero, looking at your opening hand, and you're kind of in the habit of thinking, all right, what does every turn in this game look like and what are all the different branching paths and what does each subsection of turns look like after that? That's the point you want to get to in terms of how you're thinking to actually brew because that's what brewing is. Brewing is the process of looking at a game playing out from turn zero before you've even seen your opening hand and trying to imagine what you want to be doing on every turn.
0: And I think that applies to magic at all levels, but is crucial for playing these slower late-game decks. Cause, They're cause the ones it,
3: that teach it the best, because if you yeah. don't learn
0: it, you die. I think one of the reasons a lot of people die playing more controlling or lo- late-game decks is is that they maybe don't see the significance of a random choice they made on turn two. They don't see like, oh, the fact that I foretold this card on turn two lost me the game, or the fact that I chose to use my sweeper on turn three instead of turn four, or whatever it is. It can be easy to watch a game unfolding. One of the things that I've heard a lot of pros play that I love is they talk about winning the game, not the turn. It's really easy to see your opponent play something and to think, oh, well, you know, I'm going to win this turn. If I wipe that board or if I do this or that.
3: When I stream, I typically, after a loss, will, I think, spend like 10 minutes on the you've lost the game screen, poking around, looking at all the different cards and reconstructing the way the game went. And so many times come away from that after 10 minutes of discussion going, yeah, okay, so I spent 30 seconds choosing what land to play on turn one, played the wrong land, and that was...
0: What lost me the game? is that brutal? The games unfold. You make your first play of the game. The first cardboard hits the table and you're already like, I just punted. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like.
3: Yeah. I really enjoy that in a sense too, because it means that if you really boil down to it, every single game of Magic you've ever lost, you made a lot of mistakes and you probably could have won with better play. I would feel a lot less interested in Magic if it felt like I was losing because of things that were
0: out of my control. doesn't happen very often. I make a lot of mistakes. I love that self-responsibility. All right, let's turn over to you, the one, Jame. As a mid-range player, what are mistakes you see people making or what are just some moments that really up-leveled your game?
2: The reason why I love mid-range is because I can wear Rumpty's hat and I can wear Chris's hat in any situation I want to, if I feel like I need to. I can play both roles and I can win in both roles. The problem, I think, in a lot of mid-range players, if you're building mid-range deck or maybe brewing, is you try to wear all of the hats all of the time or wear the wrong hat. You're going into your closet to find the hat that you need to wear, and you're like, oh, that's the shiny one that I always wear, but you should not be picking that hat today, not in this match. It's deck building, and it's also which hat do you wear in the match? Against Rumpty, my deck building, if there's Mono Green and then there's Is It Control, what do I, in the format, and those are the top two decks. How do I want to build my deck to where against mono Green I'm the control deck? I'm Chris against Rumpty. And then when I play against Chris, I'm Rumpty. How do I build my deck in order to be able to be that deck whenever I need to be that deck? And I need to pick the cards that I play in order to have the best chance at hitting those roles as best as I can, maybe I don't play a certain card in this matchup that usually everybody plays because I need this card for the control matchup and the aggro matchup. Say I'm a Sanguine Brushstroke midrange deck, and one of my ways to win is using Metoch Massacre on my own cards to burn my opponent out for lethal with a Blood Artist. And that's kind of the way I can combo kill opponents, but it's also the way that I can beat aggro decks. But it doesn't work on mono green or Clerics because those creatures grow out of range of beat of Massacre. So now what do I need? A broad sweeper, and I need to be a hard control deck. I think the biggest mistake that control players make, number one, is picking the wrong hat, even over deck building. Be a control deck if you want to be a control deck. Don't be a control deck in the turns two and three and then switch to wanting to be the aggro deck. Like you're the control deck. You need every decision that you make in your game. I know you're a mid-range deck and you're playing creatures in your deck, and you're playing the Reckless Storm or Town Razor Tyrant or Goldspan Dragon. But in this matchup, you're the control deck and you're gonna play your gold dragon and it's not gonna attack this turn. You can't tunnel vision yourself into certain play patterns in mid-range decks. The last thing I'm gonna say about mid-range decks is play the best cards. You're not going to play your borrowed time in your mid-range deck and win matches. Or, you know, three-mana enchantment exile target thing, unless you're playing an enchantment synergy or something. Make sure your pool of cards is the best cards you can play. And that's what I love to do, and that's why one of the things I love to do in Historic and Brewing is playing Niv-Visit Reborn. I know it's not a mid-range deck. I love playing the best cards possible because they're the best cards possible. And how you mold those cards and how you play those cards and how you pick your hat against the decks is how you're gonna win.
0: One of the things that reminds me of is, of course, you know, a lot of people know me for playing like ramp decks and I would keep getting people submitting me these decks like check out this ramp deck and one of the first things I do is I look in the one drop column and I see if they're playing Fading Hope if they're playing Fading Hope I'm like I'm sorry it just doesn't belong in this deck we have to reconceptualize what our plan is when we're building a deck like this and I think one of the biggest issues that mid-range decks run into is that the card pool is massive when we're talking about a control deck we have a much smaller subset of cards that we look at when we're talking about an aggro deck we have a much smaller subset of cards That we look at. With the aggro deck, we stay up all night, like comparing these two two drops and being like, which one's better, right? Whereas in in mid-range, you're just like looking at the available card pool, right? You're like, well, Uh, my deck could have creatures, it could have planeswalkers, it could have counter spells, it could have removal spells.
2: That's what I love. I always say that my mid-range decks are aggressive decks with removal spells and planeswalkers. In my aggro decks, there's going to be a Sorin or something, Infernal Grasp, and there's going to be aggressive creatures. It's just a matter of how I play these matchups and you have to remember, you can't play a card like Dragon's Fire unless you really want that for a specific purpose. You can't play a removal spell that can't deal with lear because you have to fill both roles whenever you play against each deck your removal spell has to kill lear and holebreaker horror and it also has to kill adeline or werewolf pack leader and if it doesn't do both things you can't wear both hats In that sense, you have to think about that. Also, what I was saying earlier about playing against Esper Control, what two-drop creature, because in the Esper Control matchup, you have to be the aggressive deck. You have to be the Rumpty of this matchup. You still have to think about those small decisions, like what two-drop do I play that doesn't die to Infernal Grasp on turn two and also doesn't die to Vanishing Verse? Which card does that? And you have to figure out those little things.
0: Thank you so much, gents. I feel like we could easily talk about any of these topics for like another hour each. So I appreciate your skill in keeping the conversation focused. If people want to follow up with y'all, what's the best way to do that? Let's start with Rumty.
1: Well, I'm not streaming as much anymore, but I do stream rumty.twitch.tv or however that works. But you can catch me on Twitter,
0: Twitter backslash Rumty5. Can you give the fans any just like little quick update on kind of what your relationship is going to be with content in 2022?
1: My streaming slowed down broadly because I have three and a half year old twins and I have a very small space. And when I stream, I tend to dominate the space available. So it just became like untenable. And just not fun for me or them or anyone really. So I, I just had to kill it. If I do move to a larger space or something about that status change, I might come back to it because I do love streaming. So I'm not like, I'm never going to stream again. It wasn't anything about streaming itself that made me put the brakes on. It's just more about like where my home life is right now and making the best choices for that. Maybe in a year or two, things will change and I'll be able to come up with some sort of schedule that'll work.
0: Get rum to your new crib. You heard the man, <laughs> <laughs> Crafties. Chris, how about you? it's cooking with? you and where can people find you
3: I can be found on Twitter at cbotello magic I stream regularly more than 5 days a week at least as of the last couple of weeks at chris botello on Twitch and recently I've uh, started a YouTube channel that currently is mostly edited down stream recordings but I'm going to be doing some more pre-produced content on it I got a couple of ideas for what I want to do next but this past weekend I Did a arena alchemy metagame analysis in advance of the arena open. And I think I mostly nailed what decks were good. Felt pretty happy about that. Going to be doing another one of those this week in advance of the set championship qualifier too. Give me a follow there if that sounds like the kind of content you're
0: interested in. Sweet. Say the name of the YouTube channel again. Uh, That one is also Chris Botello. Chris Botello. You heard him. Pause this right now. Go over there. Subscribe. (laughs) Then we'll come back to the one, James. Where can people catch up with you?
2: Uh, My main focus right now is my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash TheOneJameYT, T-H-E-O-N-E-J-A-M-E. Very, very close to 1,000 subscribers, 40-something away. So,
0: crafties, (laughs) pause the video, go over, subscribe, then we'll come back. All right. (laughs)
2: All right, now that you're back from subscribing to YouTube, um, I also stream every single day on Twitch from 10 a.m. Eastern to 4 p.m. Eastern, and that is twitch.tv slash TheOneJame. Every single day, and you best believe, a mid-range deck. I played Rakdos today. I've been playing Jun for a little bit. I play some historic Niv Visit Reborn from time to time. Played a little bit of draft today. But I usually stick to my mid-range, mid range things. I and mean, you can find me on Twitter as well at... Uh, Twitter.com slash TheOneJame.
0: Thanks so much for coming in here. And it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to all three of you. I regularly watch each of these three streaming when they're streaming and always learn something. Really, really appreciate all of y'all. As for our podcast, you can find us on Spotify. We are on Spotify. Check again, we're on Spotify. You can also watch the video on Go Blue's YouTube channel. You can also catch us pretty much... Any of the places that you normally listen to podcasts were listed there. I wanted to thank our patrons. Thanks so much for continuing to support us into this fresh year of 2022. Just wanted to mention that we're going to be doing a Commander Deck giveaway as well. So that's a way that we're going to benefit our patrons moving forward. I also wanted to shout out our Discord. It's a really cool place. Cool folks hang out. Who knows, you might even bump into a Rumty or the One Jame at some point if you're hanging out there. And finally... I wanted to just thank the community for hanging in there with us during Kovac Go Blue's absence. He will be back. I can't say when, but he will be back. And um, we're looking forward to having him back on the show. And in the meantime, it's just a pleasure to have someone else fill those shoes for a little while and to talk about cards that aren't blue. Take it easy, gents, and uh, we'll see you out there in the wild. See you thank you. Have a good